This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. We're also on YouTube so people get to see us. So when we do these things, okay. So I could get yelled at. I don't have my normal drinking with author swag, but I do have this um, blue moon iced coffee blonde that I discovered. Interesting. I didn't didn't introduce our guest. Let me go back. I'm not going to say that I had one or two before because that's just makes me look like an alcoholic. Okay. So let's introduce our guest and the co-host first. Then we'll talk about what we're drinking. Woo, I'm good. Okay, so I'm your host, Erica Lance, and with me today is... J.M. Paquette. Yay! And Ooh. our guest today is Roger Grimes. Woo! Hello, hello, hello. You know, there's all kinds of binary code clapping together right now. Okay, back to my Blue Moon Ice Coffee. Jen, what are you drinking today that's not Blue Moon Ice Coffee? I am drinking tea in an Annette Marie mug. It is Jack Frost tea. It is cinnamon and apples and, I don't know, some other healthy stuff. But, ha, 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 tea. Way to start the new year. Mm-hmm. Okay, Roger, what are you drinking today? Because you also are starting the new year off. Yeah, new year. I got to lose some weight. This is boring water. I could I could have put it in a glass, told you it was vodka on the rocks or, you know, neat or something like that. But uh, I'm, uh, I, um, I'm not an alcoholic per se, but I love a good drink. But my good drink turns into six drinks pretty quickly. And I'm... Uh, trying to lose some weight before I lose control. And so eh, drinking water tonight. Yeah. Um, two things. One, I do understand how the drinks turn into multiple drinks and that's fine. That's fine. It's COVID drinking. And then the other <laughs> thing is if you had said that was vodka on the rocks and drank as much as you're probably going to drink during this podcast, people would have really thought you had a problem <laughs> or that you were Irish like me. Yeah, I mean, actually, it's funny. I saw a friend uh, just um, kind of, thing but I, I could tell that she was getting drinking too much when she had poured a big bottle of vodka and then I saw her fake pouring something you know like the like the soda on top of it that she was trying to hide that she wasn't pouring anything on top of like I think she has a problem yeah <laughs> because that yeah. is just a straight glass of vodka that she had well, been drinking no totally which which for the record for anybody who wants to drink along with us that's fine as long as you're in the privacy of your own home you're eating correctly and you have some sort of balance you know and really good vodka you probably do want to drink on the rocks anyways so exactly drink responsibly but please feel free to drink along okay so full disclosure to our viewing audience you guys are amazing thank you for listening and watching us um roger actually recorded a show with me previously and um the cloud gods of the interwebs decided to destroy that so i had to ask roger back. so that just happens it's funny i was talking to somebody about a text because they're like i texted you back and you get into arguments like that or emails and it is not a hundred percent guaranteed I, we are living in an age where we think it's 100% guaranteed, but it's not. Because the files <laughs> were there. They just, at about 14 minutes in, wouldn't play anymore. So we decided we needed more than 14 minutes of Roger Crimes, which I think so many people say, and then there are quite a few that might say they need less than 14 minutes of Roger Crimes. But 
we'll let you guys decide. Okay, Roger, talk about right now what you're known for writing, and then we're going to go into where you're going. It's a journey we're all going to take together. Okay, I've written 12 computer security books, uh, nonfiction, uh, computer security, trying to tell people how to be more secure and what they do. Uh, like my last book was hacking multi-factor authentication, which are those devices, or maybe on your phone, you get sent a code when trying to be more secure than using a login name and password. And before that, I wrote about quantum computing and quantum cryptography and what companies need to do to prepare for the coming quantum encryption break. So everything, I've, I've done everything from writing about computer viruses, that's kind of how I got my start, to uh, how to secure Windows computer workstations, to hacking, to hacking the hackers, probably my most popular book. Uh, but all, and I've, I've written a, over a thousand magazine articles documented, probably closer to 1500 today, a lot of those were for 15 years. I was the InfoWorld CSO Magazine uh, weekly security columnist. So that was 51, 52 columns a year for 15 years. That was a lot of it. But I, I write even to this day, uh, a lot on LinkedIn and Twitter and stuff. I probably still do at least two articles a week at least. As a matter of fact, it kind of, it, it, uh, I, 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 this is a really good shirt. Kathy Watman from work gave me this shirt, but I love it that I have author-itis, you know, that just the need to write. I, I really do write nonstop. I am not one of those guys typically that has a hard time figuring out what to write. I'm a guy that wakes up with five topics in my head most of the time and I write. And, and that is actually, even though you write um, nonfiction right now, we're gonna talk about the fiction in just a second, but I think that's still kind of amazing and something for authors to think about because Really, in order to be a successful author, besides having some lightning strike and you get, you know, whatever, is writing a lot of content. You have to write a lot of content. And the fact that you have that, you have that drive is amazing because that's what it takes. I think the hardest thing most authors will tell you is their ability to actually sit down and write. I know for me, that's the hardest thing in the world is not getting distracted by everything else and Facebook and all the things that will suck you out of actually sitting down and putting words to screen. For sure. For, like, I, I probably had a hundred people come to me over the years and go, Roger, how can I write a book? You know, I want to write a book. Tell me how to write a book. And I tell them exactly what they need to do. And I'm used to talking to computer people, uh, nonfiction. Uh, but I said, this is what you need to do. And in, that, in the 20 years, only three people have actually done what I told them to do. All three got published. But the other 97 never start the first step, or at least I never hear about it. And it's the, the getting started is the hardest part. Yes, I'm going to put a shameless plug, which hopefully Adam will do. Uh, Four Horsemen Publications actually put out a book called The Author's Accountability Guide for 2021. Jen, do you happen to have it that you can hold it up for shameless self-promotion? And this has a lot of tips and tricks on exactly how to write a book. And we guide you through a journey week by week to get there. It's pretty, and I, I didn't set that up, I promise, even though it sounds like I did. I've had way too many beers to actually set that up properly. But um, it is something that I think is really important because it is hard to actually just get going, regardless if it's a security book or a computer book, nonfiction fiction, sit your ass in a chair and write the book. Like, cause that's the first step, right? Wasn't there a famous Stephen King quote or something? Someone asked him, you know, how to, and he, he was just like every day, write. 
I, mm-hmm. it was, I think it was him. Pro- yeah. Let me see. Probably every author that has ever been successfully published, that's their advice is write. <laughs> he says writers write. Jen did a, her doctrine, doctor thesis. My, my dissertation was on Stephen King. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, that's my Tolkien and Stephen King are my areas. Yeah, let me, and I'm, I'm going to diverge again real quick with my son. I have three daughters and a son. My son was dating, did date and marry uh, uh, a girl that was covered in very evil looking tattoos. And uh, although me and my friends, we really liked her right away with the evil looking tattoos. My wife wasn't so sure if she was right for her, you know, sweet son and everything. And then once we learned that every tattoo was a Stephen King character like the you know evil clown and this this gunfighter and everything i can't tell you how much we fell in love with her because it ended up being that she was just a sexy book nerd uh and we absolutely love her and she's still to this day now 10 years into our life like every year she goes and gets a stephen king tattoo and we just simply loved her that's awesome now that's memorialized the sexy sexy book library the best kind of librarian (laughs) <laughs> my son used to bring wherever to go swimming in our pool and all i noticed is all my guy friends in the neighborhood just happened to come visit when they saw her car in the driveway so my wife i then learned apparently somewhere between 40 and 50 you become the creepy old guy my wife would remind us so <sighs> that is awesome okay but but you are branching into fiction Dun, dun, dun. Let's talk about you making a transition. So let me, yeah, let me start this by saying I am not a natural writer. I'm the opposite of that. Jen uh, got a PhD in it. And uh, as she put it, knows where her commas go. I felt I, th- I had to take all three years of my high school English in the last year because I felt 10th and 11th grade English and then had to take all three in the last year to graduate. My SAT scores are so low. Uh, I'm almost embarrassed to say how low, except for I thought I did really good. I studied for two years, but the guidance counselor came up to me when I, I told her my score. I went, well, you tried. Um, <laughs> can, can I ask, like, what was your issue when you in 10th grade and 11th grade? What was it that that hung you up? Uh, I don't know. Other than uh, I was dumb and only interested in like wrestling, surfing and football and girls. I don't know. But I really let me say this. I really don't think I was smarter intellectual. I was truly a stupid kid. I didn't have any intellectual thought, and uh, I got hung up on commas. Got hung up on commas. I, once I, I had a major paper due, and the teacher would take off five points for every grammar mistake. And when I got my, and it was like for one-third of our, our test grade, one-third of our class grade, uh, when I got it back, it looked like it was positive uh, 45 and I was pretty mad that I had only gotten to 45. She goes, no, you misunderstand me. It was negative 145. It wasn't a, I thought it was just a sloppy plus sign, but it was negative 145. But she let us redo the errors and I got back half the point. So it was only negative 75 when I got through. Uh, but I truly horrible. I, I remember going to work. I, I did an internship during my, I went for my MBA. I'm a CPA. Uh, before I got into computers, and I handed in my first report to it. I was going into healthcare and uh, uh, healthcare management, and I handed in my first report. And the guy, guy literally, a friend of mine, he was the vice president of the hospital, he's like, This is horrible. 
They're not teaching you kids anything in college. You do not know how to write. And upon when I reread it, I was like, he's right. That was like a fifth grader did it. But, and the reason why I'm going through this is that I'm not a natural writing talent, but then eventually I began to write articles about computers and, and things. Uh, I got my first article ever published here. 1992, I think, 92, 93, sitting beside me on my wall, and uh, about CD-ROMs, about how CD-ROMs are going to come and take over the world. And that's well, for like five seconds. Yeah, and well, and the, and that's when I had my first critics going, "You're an idiot. That's never going to happen. You're so stupid." And that's when I learned that what people write, oftentimes, are not writing to say what a great guy you are or a writer. But anyways, so goes. So I was a terrible writer, but then. I wrote 12 books and a thousand magazine articles. And during that process, I could only because I got tired of all the editors correcting my mistakes and putting the typos in the right places and changing my slashes and saying you need like literally it happened through trial by error that I became a better writer. And I'm not a great natural writer, but I know how to write nonfiction, which goes into the fiction part is it's true it's interesting that you say that and i already know jen wants to comment i can see she's prep she's got she's perched and ready to go if you are watching this on youtube you'll see it but i think what you said is very accurate though and great that you learn from your mistakes because a lot of people so many writers um that we talk to in the community um, take an editor's words as if they're some personalized attack on a person. And they're not. They're like, hi, you're adorable, but I'm educated on how to do this thing and you're doing it wrong. So let me show you. We want to help you. And if you can take that and take the words of advice and start building up that little voice in your head, that when you start to make that mistake as you're typing, the little voice goes, check that person's name you might be spelling you might be giving him a wrong name and you're like fine scroll oh i was giving him a wrong name you know like or hey by the way you need to stop hyphenating everything <laughs> oh yeah i was so bad when i wrote my first book virus protection for windows 1999 came out in 2000 when i handed in the first draft of the first couple chapters the editor said i thought you said you could write this looks like it came off a of PowerPoint. And the embarrassing part was it had. <laughs> well, that's I, good that you have a different style because you don't want to write a, a book the way you write a PowerPoint. So well, well done. And, and let me say, so then I had to take my, he was so cruel to me. I'm not sure if I cried, but I might've cried. Uh, but uh, when I got over being hurt, I finally realized, uh, and let me say through the years, I have come to appreciate the tough, cruel editors like i if someone does isn't tough with me honest with me i don't use them again the person that edits me in a in a tough hey you need to go fix this and and, and i picked it up when i edit people now i don't spend time i'm trying i literally tell people when the new writers listen i'm going to come back it's going to seem tough but i'm not here to spare your feelings i'm here to help you get better to write better I, I so appreciate, and the harder you edit me, the more I'm going to like you and the more I'm going to use you. No, you don't want your best, you don't want your best friend who's worried about hurting your feelings being the person to tell you what your writing's like. Well, that is true in 99.999% of cases. Jen happens to be one of my best friends and she is my editor, but I'm one of those people that goes, 
Okay, what did I screw up? Tell me what I did wrong. I always, I, I, I'm very fortunate that I did learn that lesson in an early age, but I think the advice you just said is such a gem. It is such a diamond for writers is that if you can find somebody who gets what you're writing. Now, keep in mind, not every editor is perfect for every person. Like if you had somebody trying to edit your work that didn't understand computers and didn't understand that, they actually wouldn't be very good because they wouldn't get the context of what you're writing. So you don't want somebody who only edits romance novels to edit a science fiction book. Because yes, they might be able to catch some grammar, but they may completely miss the boat on the point of the story and what should be in there or not. But oh my God, the gem of going... Your editor doesn't have to be your best friend. Your editor has to be somebody who makes you a better writer. Your editor doesn't have to like the story. Like they're not there to tell you this is a good story. That's really not, you know, you, you use beta readers for that kind of reaction. Your editor is there to fix your English. Yeah. Or, you know, I love what you said, which is if both parties understand that what you're trying to do and they're not going to get their feelings hurt, that's really what you're looking for. It's the, editor or the person if the editor is worried about hurting that person's feelings and the impact on the relationship it's not the editor you should have that and if, if you understand that this person is going to be honest with me has the skills to do the editing and and you're going to take it in and it doesn't mean accept everything but it means that you're not discounting what they're throwing at you uh, you're going to have a better product and that's what i learned that's what i learned by far is that the, the better, to, uh, uh, so I self-published a book, one out of the 12, one of them was self-published. And I had a, a friend and my wife edit it. And then I realized it wasn't that good. And I went and took my own money and paid a professional editor to edit it. And it was worth every cent. And I was like, I was crazy to think that I wasn't going to pay somebody a professional to edit this if I wanted it to be good. Well, it's also part of it being your work. It's so hard to edit your own. Like you read it and read it, but you still, those are your words. It's your baby. That's the way the sentence came in your head. So to, to change it is really hard. You need another pair of eyes. But earlier, I wanted to ask you, um, you said it was just practice, right? You wrote all these articles um, for years. W were you reading in the same genre? Like how much did reading affect your sort of growth as a writer? Yeah, for sure. Um... I'm a prolific reader. Uh, I probably read one or two books a week on top of web and mat and I read everywhere. Uh, you know, I laugh the bathroom, driving in the car, getting my hair cut. I read nonstop. But um, public disclaimer, he does not read while actually driving. Audio. Maybe listens to audiobooks, but we are going to give a disclaimer for you, Roger, that you're not <laughs> driving and reading at the same no, time because no, that no, would be no. dangerous no i mean but it, like if i'm at a stoplight or something and it's let me say it's annoying to cut my hair because i'm ignoring you because you're cutting my hair and i've got a chance to read when i drive i could be with my wife sometimes and i've got a book and as soon as we come to a traffic light i'm picking up the book instead of talking to my wife on my honeymoon i was writing my first book and i was in the hotel room writing it my wife was on the beach in a bikini, getting a suntan, and I knew I picked the right woman because she understood my drive. <laughs> and and, and, and uh, I'd been turned down for two books before I ever got the first one published. I had 100 rejection letters. She understood that I was going to be successful. She understood I was driven, and she is part of my success because she knew 
that it was, I just had to get it out of me. That's how I even say it. I just, even with the fiction book, I have to get it out of me. I cannot rest and go to my grave till I get this thing out of me. It is, I am that driven. And I think it's important that you said that it's surrounding yourself with people who are supportive of you. And that doesn't mean everybody in your life has to be supportive of it. But when you're applying those parts of your life, right, or whatever art you have. So I want to say that whatever, whatever art you have, the important people in your life will be supportive. That doesn't mean they're an editor or they're anybody that can actually help you do anything other than pat you on the back and go, you did a great job. Keep doing what you're doing. Even if they don't get it, if they're there supporting you and going, keep doing what you're doing. I'm going to allow you to have the time. I'm going to give you, I'm going to bring you, um, you know, Christmas, winter. I don't even remember the name of the coffee. Winter, Jack coffee, whatever. It's my wife. I I wrote four books in three years recently. Uh, It was three new books. And then one was a a super redone second edition of, of a book. But my wife now we've been together 22, 25 years. Um, Literally, when she knows I'm going to book writing mode, she starts bringing my dinner to me. She starts literally making my environment so I can concentrate on writing. And it, it's got to be annoying and it's got to whatever. And I thank her every book. She is always my dedication every book. And some people go, well, that's sappy or whatever. But she truly is a partner. I could not do it without how she streamlines the rest of my life to do it. And it's a wonderful partnership. And I'm just blessed and lucky. That is awesome. That is awesome. Okay, so um, we're we're creeping up on the break, but before we go to the break, you're writing a fiction book. You're not writing one fiction book. You're writing a couple fiction books, correct? Yes, yes. And let me say again, it's really difficult to think about. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I realize that I'm not a great writer, really. Let me say I'm not. It's really hard. I have to work hard at it. Uh, so I, I, I realized that I still want to be successful. I still want to be commercially successful. So I kind of came up with an idea with a series that uh, it will take reading it to get the completion of what was even going on in the first book. Kind of like I described it as kind of like M. Night Shyamalan. And if, if it, uh, that's what I aspire to do. I'm trying to outdo M. Night Shyamalan with my writing. And if that's it's if it sounds too uh, braggadocious or or, or or I don't know inspirational or whatever, that's what I'm trying to do. I want to do what he does and surprise and shock people and do it better. I think that's great. I mean, I don't think that's a bad goal. I think he's had a couple of duds, but in general, his general concept is really good. Um, I'm sorry, Jen. He had a couple of I, duds. Okay. I like all movies, so I know you do. You're like the nicest person in the world. To try to get Jen to criticize almost anything. When she does, you got to listen to her because she doesn't criticize. She's like the sweetest person. She'll read a book regardless and be like, oh, this is such a great story. I'll start it. And I'm like, what are you thinking? <laughs> but then anyway, she's super nice. So you started um, recently in earnest writing the fiction books, correct? Yeah, I took after the four books, three years, I ended up moving to- two houses. Uh, I took a break for a couple of months because uh, I, I realized the work effort. And let me say, once you get writing, it's a lot easier to write. So that I want to make sure I had the time, the dedication, and actually the rest of the environment. I had to be through with my moving and unpacking. And now I feel like, okay, I'm ready to do the, the task of what it takes. My brain had a rest. 
and let me say sometimes you there's a problem that you may never do it but um you know i'm 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 in the work mode again and i'm going and my but my fear is that i will not be able to write well enough to make enjoyable fiction which is what i love talking to you because you give me lots of great ideas and i can't wait to read uh your latest book i i will truly download and get that immediately I want to know if that's the Dahlia Lance book or the Erica book. No, just kidding. I'm totally teasing. <laughs> I can say that. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back with Roger Grimes. This is the voice of Drinking with Authors. You are at our commercial break and our commercial is, hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. talking about what an awesome inspiration to life that I am. So that's <laughs> Thank you. So you were talking about before the break having a fear that you will not be a great fiction writer. Why do you have that apprehension? So I've never done it before. Number two, I, I wrote a chapter, sample chapter, sent it to my editor of my last couple of commercial books. Uh, and he's a nice guy, an honest guy. And one of the best, worst things he ever said, I said, how did you like it? And he literally said, it's not the worst thing I've ever seen written. Which, uh, you know, wow, okay, okay. Uh, which is good. I like to work hard. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, I've even sent it to, off to a few, uh, the sample chapter off to a few, um, to another published author that's published a couple of books in similar genre. And, um and he said, you're too wordy, you need to be shorter. And I talk with a lot of words. And let me say that this is a tough one because I don't know if I want to change my style. So that's an editor. So it's an editor giving his opinion. And I'm not sure if I want to change that about me. Like I talk a lot. I do, when I get presentations, I'll do a hundred slides in 60 minutes all the time. I talk too fast. With that said, I'm, around, I'm among the highest rated presenters in the computer security industry. Like it's, my wife also, my wife says, slow down, slow down. Uh, it's working after 25 years, it's working for me. And it may be that my writing style is the same. So I, I don't know yet. I'm so, so have you had readers read it? Like what is their, like other people who read it as a reader, not as an editor, did they say the same thing? I haven't sent it out yet. I was going to kind of take one more pass on it and maybe send it to y'all or, you know, you can totally Roger, you know, I already told you I'd read your work. I think the thing you have to realize is that um, the audience situation. So when you're talking about, and you should know this from your audience, from the books you have on the computer industry and stuff like that, right. Is um, you, you have an audience that is particular on, in the computer industry, and you um, uh, have to, um, you, you, but you're not writing to everybody. Not every, you know, in, information security officer, I almost used the acronym for that, and everybody's going to be like, what the 
fuck are you saying? Um, the, not every information security officer at a company reads your books and is like, Roger Grimes is the best person in the entire world. I'm quite sure some of them go, this is fucking garbage. Like, what is this? And that's true of your audience. So when, when you're doing what you're doing with this, the advice I can give you, and I'm sure Jen will jump on this bandwagon, is you need to find somebody who will be the right audience for your book to show it to before you take some of the criticism because in a room full of 100 people, all of them could like your book, 10 of them could like your book, you know, 10 of them can hate your book or 50 of them could like your book, but it's because of who you populate the room with. Like if I populate a room only with sci-fi um, readers and then handed them one of my erotic novels and said, do you like it? I'm sure some of them would like it on a, the down low. A couple of them might be like, that's cool. But if I had a sci-fi book and I was handing it to them, I would get a much better idea whether or not they liked my work. So before you change anything about your writing style, which has been successful and you are a best-selling author, don't change it until somebody who reads your genre regularly and is the audience you want to have goes, well, this is what would make it better for me. And then you decide whether or not you want to change it. Okay. And let me say, I, jump on for that. If I yeah, I was, I was just thinking like, there are so many different famous authors, even my brain just went, it's like, do you prefer Hemi like the Hemingway style where it's super short, uh, you know, that newspaper style, or are you the kind you love, you know, like William Faulkner, who just goes on and on and on and on for pages that's both of those are valid styles, they appeal to different readers. So you just Ready have to decide who I, who I love about Eudora Welty. Oh, yes. Yes, there's good stuff in there. But then there are people who are like, oh, you don't, right? They don't like that. So it just. Yeah, Hemingway we can actually. talk about Tolkien, who's I one mean, of Ben's favorite in the world. And I, a lot I, of people go, he talks about a lot of walking in a bunch of trees. He loves to describe nature. Now, I will say, I love Tolkien in my soul, but he is not my favorite narrative voice. There are other people that I think do prettier things with English. He has great lines. He has great characters. I love his world. I love his story. I love everything about it. But at the same time, I can look at it objectively and be like, you know, if I were to read a Tolkien paragraph next to, like, I, I don't know, of course, now my brain is going blank. Um, you know, someone like Edgar Allan Poe, in my mind, is prettier but he's super long he's wordy you know so it's just what you prefer it's I your like, style i like it so you do a wealthy my favorite story and, and i hope i got the right author for the piece but a good man is hard to find oh that's uh flattery o'connor yeah oh yes 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 love her too so yeah i like flannery o'connor uh in that particular piece thank you for correcting me i should have no, I literally was on um, a call today where we talked about <laughs> Flattery O'Connor. That's so funny that it yeah, comes up again. The her in that piece, although I could be wrong with this, not even female, I can't remember now, I could be leaving my brain. Is yeah, it's her. You read it, you start reading that story, and I think anybody reading it for the first time, your heart starts to palpitate. That grandmother? Yeah, I, I have my students read it and it's different now that I'm online because of COVID and everything. But in the classroom, the first people who walk in the day when they they've read that story, they're like, why would you do this to us? Like, like there's there's a mother and a child. And this this is just why is this story in this book? And we're like, OK, well, let's talk about it. But and yeah, that as you start to realize what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. It starts to move you and. 
And so uh, I have a twin brother, by the way, who's a much better writer than I am. And uh, he actually wrote a piece, it's probably been 20 years ago, called Disposable Dads for a local periodical that talked about his experience of he had fell in love with a, girl, a woman who already had a child as a baby, helped raise the child. And when they broke up, she took all contact away. And it, he had no rights to the child, but he had loved her as a daughter, felt she looked as his father. And in the anger, uh, his ex-girlfriend said, no contact, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he wrote this article. At one pager, anyone I've ever showed it to for 20 years has cried by the time they got to the end of it. And I so, I just sit there and I go, that is it. If you can emotionally move somebody, that's what I'm moved by. I don't know if I have it, but that's what I want to do. I want to create a visceral, um, and I have worked this story in my head for 10 years, and I think it will be shocking. I want people's heart to be palpitating. I have a couple of scenes in it that I just think should make people's heart want to beat out of their chest. But then the scary part is, can I actually write that? Well, what you need to do is you write it and then you give it to the editor that you find that's the right editor for that. And you go, this scene, this is the effect I want to have in this scene. What am I missing? Because the exact same thing you did for your other books, because I'm willing to bet if we go back to that first book you wrote and take the last book you wrote and put them side by side and look at the grammar and look at how you communicated things and everything, they don't match. You always grow as an author. So that is where an, a story editor comes into play. I think it's a story editor, Jen, correct me if this is booze and I'm not saying it right, but a story editor comes into play and says, you go, this is what I'm trying to do with this. Does it communicate that? And you find your right editor that goes, not exactly, this is what I would change. And then guess what? You're gonna learn from that and you're gonna get better. Cause I went back and I recently, um, last year or so republished the first short story I ever published, right? And I was reading it, I still love this story. It's one of my favorite stories and I've gotten some of the best. I got the best review I've ever gotten which is Erica Lance is an author that likes to punch you in the fucking face. That was one of the best reviews I got because I in general verify this, my effect that I wanna create with my horror stories is people at the end of them to tilt their head and go, the fuck just happened like I want them to like not be okay with the existence of what just happened i don't want them to be like that was a cool story i literally want them to be like i'm mad at her for how flannery it ended flannery o'connor you cannot believe what she is getting ready to do and all of a sudden you realize she's going to do it and you keep hoping that there's an exit on the highway where this thing is headed and she drives an 18 wheeler through it it's it Exactly. So I know when I'm doing that and when people are reading it and when Jen, as one of my editors, is the story, she knows that that is the effect I want to create. So she'll hand it back and go, eh, you know, not in a bad way. With, with the technical things going, it didn't have the same punch that this had. But my point, before I get derailed by myself, is I went back and read that first story and then read um, the, the books I'm working on right now. And it's completely different. And I think Jen will tell you, being my editor for the last 10 years, I'm a completely different writer than I was 10 years ago. And I've gotten better and instead picked up new bad habits. Like I don't make the same mistakes, I make all new mistakes. And so it's it's really exciting. So That's what makes it fun. 
remember that when you're writing is that's the job of the story editor is to help you get to that point. And then when they show you the tricks, when you do the next book, you have those tricks and you can go, hey, I want to make sure this is this is this. You don't want to necessarily give it to a reader because a reader does not have the same view and cannot necessarily tell you how to make it different. They yeah, can just respond to what happens. Yeah. I was going to say, Eric, another thing that you gave me, so I'm trying to make surprises and emotion. And uh, when I first told you about this, we were sitting in a work situation and it quickly veered off into our interest of writing. And I remember you gave me this great hint that is just brilliant, but I love, it's, it's gotta be great hanging out with people like you and what you and what you told me changed my way that I wrote this story. Yay! Yeah, so it was that I wanted this, I wanna be M. Night Shyamalan, have these surprises in it, that sort of stuff. And what you told me I thought was genius. And I've seen it in other writing since and in movies in particular, which is you said, put a little fact that they see it, they read it, it bothers them, and you keep on going. Yes. And boy, have I seen that trick done. And, and by the way, maybe that's another thing, too, is when you become a writer, you start to look at writing and movies or whatever differently. Like, so I noticed that trick now. I went, Erica was so right. There's this thing so that when you finally reveal it, the person's going, yes, yes, why didn't I see that? You know, no, they do. It's the Fight Club. Like, that's the best movie I can show where if you watch Fight Club, and I'm one of those people that because of how I think, and it really annoys people that I'm with, um, I'm very lucky my present boyfriend does not get as annoyed by this. I can tell you what the ending of most things is going to be. I can tell you exactly like the whole story arc, not every single detail, but I can go, this is the end. And I, when I watch Fight Club, and there are going to be people who listen to this that are like, I figured that out. But when I watch Fight Club, and it got to the point in the movie where he goes, I just lost cabin pressure. I was like, what the fuck just happened? And I re literally same night got to the end of that movie. I think it's brilliant. The book is brilliant too, by Chuck Polnick. Did I say his Palinuk. name? Right? Palinuk. Palinuk? Palinuk. Palinuk, whatever. I say his name badly. Of course, he's going to be on the show at some point. I'm going to, have to say it correctly. But um, I got to the end of that movie and I literally started it again. But there were scenes I paused and there are exact scenes where they do that, where they go, you see Tyler Durden, for instance, or you see this thing and you realize, like, for instance, you realize they, um, she, uh, Helen Boheme Carter's character never really talks to him like never talks to Tyler Durden. You never see that happen. And it's like, it's just these things that you go, how the frick did I miss this? That's a, and I think I was trying to make it such a surprise. I was afraid to reveal anything for fear that it would reveal the surprise. What you taught me is that part of the satisfaction of the reader is in giving them the little nut trail along the way that when they finally go, aha, it comes flooding back all at once. They're like, yes, 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 yes. Oh my God, I can't believe I missed it. And that's a better surprise than me just putting, oh, it's not this, it's that. <laughs> well, it's funny because you say that and a lot of readers will get more pissed off if you try to do a switcheroo ending at the end. A lot of readers are like, what the crap six? Because when they're reading, they're with you on that journey. They are 100%, they're with you, they're with you in the story, they're with that character. 
And then if it changes, they're like, what did you, what just, what, what? Fuck this okay. book. And they throw it instead of your book where they'll take it and go, oh, I'm going back to the beginning. Let me find all the little, little things that you left along the trail. Because then when they read it a second time and you'll find your readers want to read it a second time, they'll be like, oh my God, how did I not see that coming? Neil Gaiman does a whole thing where he did comics for a while. So he said, you know, when you're you're writing comics, you don't get to go back to the beginning. If you at the end, you need a gun in the drawer, you don't get to go back. So he said, anytime he's writing, he puts guns in drawers. So he'll put like a little nugget here and a little nugget there. And then by the end, you know, you can explore all these other ones. So I always think of that, putting guns in drawers while you're going through the process. And then later on, people are like, I remember that part. Like, cool breadcrumbs no totally that's 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 a cool idea just in case you need them (laughs) no it's well it's interesting because japanese movies and stuff like that are very different i always make the analogy of the movie the ring so if you watch the movie the ring which was a very very popular japanese movie has all these guns in the drawer so to speak that don't lead fucking anywhere like they're just guns in drawers and you think they're going to go to something don't get me started about the horses. They don't go to anything. They literally go nowhere. Like, and when I was watching that movie, everybody was so excited about this movie. And I was so annoyed with this movie because I was like, got it. I mean, it was good from the suspense and the videotape and saving the world, whatever. But there were so many of these things that they could have explored to make the storyline better that they just talked about the gun in the drawer and then left the gun in the drawer. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like you have just, all this great material to make this story better and you didn't. And it was dumb and I was mad. So all the people out there watching or listening to me talk about how bad the fucking ring was. That's how I feel. But that's Japanese, like a cultural literary expectation. You're going to put a lot of guns and drawers. You'll have a lot of possibilities and some of them will be explained and some of them won't and it won't resolve, <laughs> which is why Japanese movies, when they turn them into like Hollywood movies as Americans, we're like, no, we need resolution we need to know what happened we need to know who lives and who dies like we want the ending of a story and Japanese stories aren't like that at all like culturally they just they're like why do you need it explained that the story is the important thing not the ending so it's just interesting to see what the audience is expecting don't do the Japanese thing with your book Roger just do not well it's interesting it's a trick because I know I'm not that great of a writer I, I will be I would if I could describe my entire life it's slightly above average. Everything in my life is slightly, you know, if 100 IQ is average, I'm 101. I'm sorry, did you publish 12 books and a thousand articles? That's not slightly above average, Roger. Well, so so I have a twin brother, IQ of 140 or 60 or 160 or something like that. Super smart, better writer. And what I learned uh, through the early writing uh, I used to beg him, please help me, you know, re- he was my early editor. One day he's like, no, you need to do it alone. You need to learn how to write, which was great. He broke the apron strings. But what I found out is that a hardworking average person can kind of equate to a really naturally talented person, you know, and, and now, you know, and, and also I didn't give up. Like my brother, I remember when he was getting ready to write a book, he, he sent out a letter. I think he got turned down three times and it emotionally hurt him and he didn't continue. I got turned down a hundred letters. I, I kept them all. I had a hundred rejection letters 
And at no point did I not think I wasn't going to get that I wasn't going to get published. I literally I saved the letters because I knew I was going to refer to them after I was published. <laughs> like, and that's what I learned. Average, super hardworking is the same as being brilliant. Oh, not not amazing, but if you put in your twenty thousand hours, it turns into something. No, it, it's hard work because here's the thing: you can be the best, most brilliant writer in the world but if nobody reads your shit because you don't actually get it out and what you talked earlier something you said is true you read how many books a week one to two books a week right that's a, above average but the average readers can read um anywhere between two and ten books a month right that's what readers do and especially in a time like this where people are kind of confined into spaces there's a lot more reading going on than than people realize because there's only so many shows you can binge watch on Netflix, you know what I mean? And um, so it's not that you have to be the most brilliant. I don't think I'm the most brilliant writer in the entire world. I don't think that. I think I'm fairly, very entertaining and people enjoy my work and I get a lot of feedback from my work. And that's what's important is you don't have to be the best writer. You just have to not throw your readers out of the story because you don't understand how to, how to write a sentence. That doesn't mean it has to be the best sentence in the world and quoted by, you know, Gandhi and forever in the history books, but some of the best books out there with the most popular um, uh, fan bases aren't the greatest books in history. For like, sure. I bet if you, you called together, Jen, earmuffs, if you called together all the Tolkien fans that exist because of the movies versus and the books... The movies is going to fucking win, hands down. There's so many people that think the movies are the Bible and not what's in the actual book and never read the books or tried to read the books after the movies came out and then didn't like that Arwen's not in the fucking books until the very end of the books. Like, And then are like, well, where the hell is she? She's the cool elf character. She's in the appendix, Erica, in the appendix. I know she's in the goddamn appendix. I read the books, but... My and it was, is, it was only, she's only in the appendix because the publisher told Tolkien that they would not publish it unless he put that story in. He was like, nobody cares about that. And they were like, uh, yeah, he was like, well, I want seven appendices then. And, and they were like, all right, as long as one of them is uh, the Aragorn and Arwen love story, you have to put that in there. And he was like, all right, fine. So he included it because afterwards he got to put in his his etymology section, his language history, um, all of his annals. Like he, that was his deal, which is so, so good. Needless anyway. to say, though, when they wrote the movie and decided to put the movie in and decided to pick the stories from the book, because by the way, any book that ever changes into a movie, they are picking pieces of the story assume they're going to take about seven pages from the book and make it into the movie because they're never going to tell the whole story but that's what they chose to put in the story and then they put this elf so then anybody goes to read it they're like where the fuck is the elf but you're talking about a different audience the people who read fantasy yeah exactly your your audiences are going to be totally different like lord of the rings the movie is kind of a separate entity it's its own thing it is but my whole point is that if you look at, I'm getting to my point. I if you look you. at the sales of Lord of the Rings compared to the sales of fucking Twilight, right? It's a different kettle of fish. And I, I can tell you from ha having read Twilight. Gray. What? How did, how did Fifty Shades of Grey 
become. You want to know the answer to that? I can tell you the answer to that. It's sex on it. No, it has nothing to do with sex. She wrote fan fiction for Twilight. And fan fiction is a whole arena that people don't realize is huge. Fan right. fiction is huge. There are websites dedicated it to it. So she started writing all these books as fan fiction and then told all these fan fiction followers she was writing a book that was basically another version of Twilight. And when she put up her book for self-publishing, she got 3,000 pre-orders because of the fan fiction wow. thing. So the publishers went, what the fuck is that? And by the time they bought it and started doing marketing, she was up to 10,000 pre-orders. That is why that book is out. It's not because it's a good book because publishers didn't look at it and go, that's a great book because anybody who's read it can tell you, no offense to all the people I might offend out there. It's a fucking terrible book. And she has terrible grammar and she's not a good writer. It's like a sixth grader wrote it. What happened is it went out there and it had momentum. If people start talking about something, it's kind of like anytime, for the most part, our um, Oprah recommends a book. Everybody fucking buys the damn book because Oprah recommended the book. It could be complete garbage, which she's unfortunately learned some of the books she's recommended are complete garbage because they're written by people who didn't experience the things they actually wrote about. But you get enough marketing momentum, that's what happens. Again, you don't, you can be a good writer. You are a good writer, Roger. You're a good writer. You wouldn't have as many books as you have and articles if you weren't a good writer because nobody would want to listen to you regurgitate crap. They'd be done I by had a lot of good editors that made me seem better than I was. That's fine. We don't tell people we're a good writer. We just have people behind us making us look good. That's how that works. But you are a good writer because you wouldn't have gotten as far as you did. You don't have to be the greatest writer in the world. You have to be entertaining. You have to entertain the people that are reading your book. And that is my soapbox for right now. And I got one more thing that's kind oh, of, Bart. I don't know whether another break's coming up, but. No, we do. We're, we have to get to the end of this episode and then we have literary briefs. But where I get I, to drunkenly ask you a lot of questions. So then besides, besides trying to make it a surprising story, and I really do think I have a great story. I really do. I look and I read all kinds of other stuff and I'm like, my story's better. And it's going to have some computer stuff in it and computer security stuff, but they're minor parts. I realize nobody wants to hear computer security in depth, not even computer security people. So it's a, yeah, I really think I have a really well-formed story where it plays a small part. But here's the other thing is I also respect uh, Orwell in 1984 and stuff where after you read the book, you realize there's this allegory to some other social thing. So my books will be that allegory. And I have been embedding myself in a subculture, pretending to be part of that subculture to destroy that subculture. Which is not having anything to do with his day job. Where's your disclaimer, Roger? We agreed on a disclaimer. It doesn't have to do with religion or my day job. I don't think, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get fired over it. (laughs) I'm I'm a thousand percent sure being the person who would be responsible for firing you and knowing what it is. No, but I think the area, and we're going to put a big mystery sandwich, but you got to get your book out. I think the area that you're tackling is a, a phenomenally interesting area to tackle. And I think it's going to have that effect. So, you know, the big question is, when are we going to see the book, Roger? 
I, I, I'm hoping by June, July, somewhere in there. That's my that's my goal. And let me say, I'm always late, uh, but but it will get done. I always finish what I start. I am a I am a slow moving tank, and um, I sometimes take longer, but I do get it done, and it's uh, it will get done. And it's a and trilogy, I, correct? It's what? It's a trilogy. Yes. Yeah. So uh, three books. So the first one is going to come out August, September. I'm just jumping on your timeline there. September, October. Cool. Because <laughs> he said June, July. What were you going to say, Jen? You look <laughs> like Christmas presents. <laughs> and then what, are you writing? Are you just going to keep writing and keep going? Yes. It's so like when do you want book two to come out? I don't know yet. I don't know yet. Not thinking that far ahead other than a couple of months, you know, after that one, because actually the first two are very bookendy together. So they kind of have to be written together because I'm not doing an M. M. Night Shyamalan in the first book. My surprise is the second book is that the people that read the first book and read the second, they're going to be people that hate me, hate me in the first book. It's going to be the exact opposite by the time the second book comes out. The first people will understand, and the people that cheered me in the first book are going to hate me. To the point to which my life could be threatened, I told my wife, I think we might need to get a gun or something to protect me. And she said, maybe you shouldn't be writing something where someone may want to kill you. And my response is, I can only hope, because that means we're going to have some type of success if someone's trying to kill me. And it would not be the first time someone's threatened to kill me from something I've written. That's, uh, you know, <laughs> after 20 years, ho-hum, I've motivated people to kill me for, you know, before. <laughs> and once, yeah, I once read, wrote an article on who has better security, Windows or, or, or Apple Macintoshes. And I did it as an experiment. The first one I wrote, who has better security, Windows or Apple, I wrote very uh, neutrally, uh, hey, here's this, here's this, and it ended with, hey, both are secure as long as you do what the manufacturers tell you to do. That got like 50 views. I then waited a couple of months and I wrote the same article, but I entitled it, Windows has better security than Apple. And I wrote it with this incredibly subjective view. It got 500,000 views and somebody that wanted to kill me. A, a woman wrote to InfoWorld and said, if you will kill him, I will sleep with you. And then I wrote her and said, hey, you're being a little bit tough there. You're actually suggesting a felony. She's like, I hope they do it and I hope you die. And uh, and that was the least of her issues. But uh, anyways, I thought, I was like, hey, you're, you're getting a little bit irate. This is just computer stuff. But, uh, and it even went further. I called the FBI. She ended up being a woman that lived out and I shared, shared this last time and I saved yeah. it just enough. She lived in the woods not making this up. Uh, she lived in the woods in two like tents. She got her Wi-Fi from a jackrabbit storage shed uh, that was nearby on the other side of the woods. She got her electricity by stealing it, vampire tapping it off a highway sign. And she lived naked inside of two tents. She was threatening to kill me. And literally she was truly crazy. And if you said to her, hey, you know, you're being crazy. She had a fact for it. She had a fact FAQ document that showed that she truly had been declared with all kinds of mental health issues 
and she had a she had from the age of four to like 30 all the time she got committed to a psychiatric center uh, but she'd get kicked out because they ran out of insurance uh, insurance money or she slept with too many doctors or patients but i thought that was really creative that she actually had a fax document and you're like you're crazy she's like yep <laughs> and she was but anyways wow and an apple supporter clearly Yes, yes. Well, and my wife. Don't piss off Apple supporters, Roger. That should have been the moral of that story is don't piss off people who are Apple. They're weird. No, just and my kidding. wife was going, you must have done something else to her. You couldn't have motivated this female to want to kill you simply based upon that article. And I'm like, eh. And now I, I get probably an email once a month from a paranoid schizophrenic that now, eh, this is pretty normal. There's a lot of, lot of, lot of, a lot of mental health issues out there. No, it's true. You never know what's going to set somebody off and you never never know who's going to be a stalker and all those things. I always tell people that I'm like, you have to, um, you know, remember that people are going to perceive you the way they decide to perceive you. So as you become, and you don't even have to be super duper famous, as you become out there, people can pick up something and become obsessed. And I love that's how we're ending well, this yeah. podcast is talking about stalker fans. Yeah, you know, I wrote <laughs> How can we find you? 1500 articles for for 20 years and they write me to talk about they want they have something in their computer nobody can find the computer and everything all the electronic devices are spying on them and they've taken it to the computer store and they've had their computer friends look at it and nobody can find it so they're emailing me with help to find they'll and they'll, they'll have a really common story many times they'll say stuff like and my boss is spying on me when i go to the bathroom and you know i've got this computer and uh no matter i got a new phone and they immediately infected the new phone i got a new computer and they infected the new computer and they you know my car my car is listening to me and you know pretty quickly there, there seems to be some commonality in it and uh, the only thing i thought is i should start like a, a web store that focuses on selling like anti-tinfoil hats and stuff like that because i think i could make some money I think you can make a lot of money. I don't want to talk about the weirdos that you're going to end up bringing in and around you if you do that, though. There's already stuff on Amazon that you can buy. And then people are like, but my phone doesn't work anymore. I'm like, yeah, because that's what you bought. <laughs> oh, we got to love product reading. Okay, so Roger, um, your, new, your fiction book isn't out, but if somebody wanted to find all of your very cool books, on information security and hacking and cybersecurity, how do they find you? Amazon, you know, probably. My, a lot of my books are done by uh, Wiley and uh, O'Reilly, uh, and uh, but Amazon has wh whatever ones are still published. A lot of them got unpublished, and there was a like some type of lawsuit years ago where the early ones ended up going to Amazon, and they were giving them away, and there was some big lawsuit and. Uh, through the publisher, I was made party to the lawsuit, and then I was given, I think, a check for 13 cents that covered three books that Amazon just gives away for free. But uh, yeah, everything that's kind of still being published is on Amazon. Very cool. And 13 cents. I mean, that's that's actually pretty big bucks in the publishing world, not going to lie. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I got a form letter from my age. I had a book agent for one of the books and they sent me a thing saying, Hey, we forgot to take our 20% cut. <laughs> oh my goodness. I just sent the whole check. I'm like, it's uh, here. I spent more in the stamp, but I thought it was just a matter of like, you can have the 13 cents, but it's obviously a form letter and they hadn't, they hadn't put in the system, you know, don't kick out this form for this cut. So I was like, you can have all 13 cents and they took it.
Of course they did. Of course they did. Oh my god. Okay, you have been fabulous. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. This has been Drinking with Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. JM Piquette. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone.